Church, how are we doing this morning? Amazing time of worship and prayer, and let's see if my stand will stand. That would be good. Yeah, I love it when God just shows up and kind of messes with our schedule and our plans, and you know it's just a Holy Spirit moment. So I'm grateful for you guys being a part of that. Um, hey, listen, we are continuing in this series on Win the Day. And I want to do just a little bit of a recap. I've kind of gotten away from that, but it's easy to take each of these individual habits and not connect the dots on the pattern that they form. So I want to recap a little. I want to remind us that winning the day is how we stop obsessing over the past and stop worrying about the future, setting out instead to focus on and win each day, this day, every day. And so uh, the biblical habits that we're learning, these seven habits, are broken out into three parts, three sections. And it's intentional because it's a path or a pattern to help us reconcile our past, to help us steward our present, and to walk into our God-ordained future one day at a time. You ever wish you could just like see the dream but then not get overwhelmed or over-angst and just focus one day at a time? And so in part one, we started, um, it was called Bury Our Yesterdays, and it was about how to reconcile our past, because some of us have some, most of us have some difficulties in our past, whether we created them or, or someone else created them or a little bit of both, there are challenges. And so the first thing we learned was the habit of flipping the script, we looked at the Israelites and how they wandered around the desert complaining about all God wasn't doing and looking back at, at Egypt like it was something great, right? Except that their captivity in Egypt was literally killing them. And so in flipping the script, we learned to take those stories that shape our lives and not hear or see them through this negative narrative that the enemy speaks in our mind but through God's lens that continues to tell us who we are in him. And the most important part of flipping the script is accepting our new story, accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior so that our identity literally changes. And the ha second habit we talked about was kiss the wave, which was not a surfer term, which is what we all kind of thought it might be at first. But kissing, in, kissing the wave, we looked at Jesus asleep in the boat in the middle of the raging storm and the disciples freaking out, even though Jesus was right there, freaking out, thinking that the storm was going to kill them. And in a moment, Jesus not only stopped the storm, but he strengthened their faith and taught them more about who he was, and more importantly, who he was in and through them. And so we learned that we needed to kiss the wave that throws us against the rock of ages. Instead of fighting the storm, instead of pushing back, embrace the storm because the storm is pushing us into God. Amen? All right, so that was how we looked at reconciling our past. And then we went on to winning the day. How do we steward our present? Our present? And we talked about eating the frog, right? <laughs> you got to just get up and make your bed some days. Every day, yeah. And so we started in eating the frog. We did a word study on the biblical word diligence and what it means. And that scripture actually teaches us that diligence in our lives brings security, it brings promotion, it brings sustainment, and it brings contentment. Most importantly, um, diligence in our assignments equals progress in our outcomes, 
And that's not just in the physical things, it's in the spiritual things. It's absolutely diligence in your everyday and literally making your bed, literally being diligent about your work, doing those things physically does all those things. But in Hebrews 6, 11, and 12, it says, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end. And it's talking about their spiritual practices and the truths that they've learned so that you that what you hope for may be fully realized. We don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised, which is our kingdom inheritance. Amen, church. The bottom line is that diligence in our daily, in, um, in our daily assignments invites anointed excellence, God excellence in our outcomes. We went on um, in how we steward our day last week to talk about flying the kite. And, and we learned that we are not to despise small beginnings because small beginnings are the foundations of championship endings. I'm going to say that again. Small beginnings are the foundations of championship endings. We define success as good stewardship, doing the very best we can with what we have, where we're at. And we really walk through what it means to steward the holy ground God has given us. How that ground starts with God, how it actually includes us. Remember that God gathered up the ground, the dirt, the dust, holy as it was, and breathed life into it. And we also learned that holy ground expands little by little. It doesn't happen all at once. Thank goodness, because we couldn't handle it. Most of all, that holy ground is not our prize at the end. Holy ground is our assignment each and every day. So that kind of catches us up. How are we feeling about all those things? That's a lot of habits to put into practice. Raise your hand. Show me some hands if you, have, if you are feeling good, like at least one of these habits you have started to tackle, reconcile. I'm just going to pretend everybody's hands flew up. All four habits. Y'all are, no, I'm not going to ask you to lie in church. It's okay. But we're going to work through that, right? We want to catch those and apply those. And that's taken us through reconciling our past, and it's taking us through, taken us through stewarding our present. But today we begin this third part which is imagining unborn tomorrows, walking into our God-ordained futures and what it means to do that. Mark Batterson says that everything that exists originated in the omniscient imagination of the Almighty. From neurosurgery to skyscrapers to miracles to you to me, everything that exists originated in the omniscient imagination of the Almighty. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship created anew in Christ Jesus to do the good works he planned for us, he prepared in advance for us long ago. And can I tell you, chances are those good works he planned long ago are exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever think or imagine. The goal, church, in this is to align our lives with his imagination. To align our dreams 
with what the Almighty purposed for us at the beginning of time. That's good stuff. That can also sound really intimidating. Like, I should have the solution for life tomorrow. World peace, all of it, right? Like this big thing. And I'm going to quote the book. Imagining unborn tomorrows doesn't mean figuring it all out and arriving tomorrow. It is simply gathering the courage to take the next step. In other words, even as we look at unborn tomorrows, we're still focused on winning the day, not the decade. We're still not jumping way ahead. Just what's the next step? Now, I want to tell you, Pastor Rick mentioned I was working a lot this week. There were 43 scripture references in this two chapters, in this one section of this book. There's a whole lot of meat here. So if you've got the book and you haven't read the chapters yet, I encourage you to dig in. If you're like, I don't see all the scripture, remember that this was a reach book for him. So a lot of the scriptures he does not tag. Look at the, every time you see a number, look in the back. I counted them because I was overwhelmed. Like, God, what am I supposed to bring forth from this habit that's so important, that's solid and biblical? Because there were 43 Different choices. And so, but that's okay. We're not doing all 43. We've narrowed it down to two. Are we good? Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. So today's habit, habit number five, is cut the rope. Now, unless you've read ahead, it's probably not what you're thinking, because I think we think of just leaving stuff behind, right? But cutting the rope actually means to make a decision. The Latin Uh, The Latin root of the word to decide is to cut. Cutting the rope is simply deciding to take a calculated risk. And, you know, there's always a really cool story behind it, so let me give you the story. In the 1850s in New York City, Elijah Otis was an inventor, and he invented the safety elevator brake. The problem was, as much as he invented the safety brake for elevators and he was trying to sell them, nobody was buying them. Side note, at the time, there were only a few buildings that were even more than five stories in New York City. Can you imagine? (laughs) Do you know why? Nobody liked to climb the stairs. There weren't elevators. So the penthouse was the least desirable place in the the geography of the land, right? And so um, climbing the stairs eliminated the desire for people to have tall buildings, but Elijah Otis, he had, he had a plan. So in 1853, America hosted, it, the, um, America hosted our first World's Fair in New York City. And so in the middle, and, and the World Fair is a place where inventions and innovations and all those things are presented, right? So I want you to imagine uh, 1853, World's Fair, they build what they call the Crystal Palace which is a big exhibition center, and in the very center of the Crystal Palace, Otis um, is up on this tall elevator platform, way up where everybody can see him, and he signals the axeman to cut the rope above his head, and the elevator drops about two feet, and it stops. And Mr. Otis says, all safe? Like, I went to put up Southern, all safe, y'all. But it's New York City, so that's not what he said. But it's all safe. We're good. It's all good. You see, Elisha Otis took a calculated risk. 
He knew what he was up against. He believed in what he had, but he knew he had to make a statement and get people's attention. Now, the calculated risk for him, what was that for him? Well, it it ended up um, making him a very wealthy man. He sold a lot of elevator brakes, right? But it did a whole lot more than that for the world. Because in 1953, there were just a few buildings taller than five stories in New York City. By, I'm sorry, 1853, I apologize. Um, 1890, there were 10 buildings taller than 10 stories because of the elevator. In 1900, there were 65 buildings taller than 20 stories in New York City. And by 1908, there were 538 buildings in New York City that qualified as skyscrapers, which meant they were over 40 floors. When Mark Batterson published this book in 2020, New York City had 58,000 elevators making 11 billion trips a year. Because Elisha Otis cut the rope. By the way, just a side note, um, according to Wikipedia, because that's the best source for everything, right? No, not if you're writing your dissertation. Don't do that. But... um, (laughs) His elevator company in 2020 had a revenue of 12.76 billion U.S. dollars. Now, Elijah Otis not only had a dream and a vision, he had the diligence, like we go backwards, right, stewarding the day, he had the diligence to follow it through. He took a calculated risk, he had the courage to cut the rope. From one elevator to a $12.76 billion revenue, I would say that that's a good way to not despise small beginnings. But that's a guy's story. So what is God's story about cutting the rope? What does God have to say to us about having the courage to take calculated risks to step out in faith towards the dream that he has put in our heart? Because as a Christian, cutting the rope isn't just taking a calculated risk. It's putting our faith into action. It's putting our faith into action towards the goal that God has given us. Cutting the rope in Scripture is the moment when Jesus was walking across the water in the storm. And Peter knew he couldn't walk on water, but he knew Jesus was. And he knew Jesus said, come on, Peter, when he said, I want to come to you. And it's the moment that Peter stepped out of the boat onto the water, he took a calculated risk. He cut the rope to walk towards a greater future. It's not always that easy. I mean, like, I wouldn't say that's easy. There's a storm and wind and waves and all we know about how physics works. And and so not an easy moment. But sometimes it's harder than that. Because cutting the rope is also the moment when Abraham took Isaac up to the mountaintop and built an altar, bound his son's hands, and lifted the knife, trusting and having faith that the God who had promised, who had promised a nation through this child would somehow make it right. I don't know what God is asking of you 
or what he's asked of you in the past or what dream he's given you for the future. But if he's given you a dream and you haven't taken the first step, then I'd like to suggest that it's time to start asking God, what is the risk you're asking me to take? What is the step of faith that you are asking me to take so I can walk towards, not my thought-up future, but God, the future you created for me in your almighty, omniscient imagination. Why take the risk? Because God's reward is exceedingly abundantly more. Why take the risk? Because if we don't, then nothing changes and our God-ordained life goes unrealized. Because walking into our God-ordained life not only realizes a vision and dream beyond our imagination, beyond what our hearts could think up, but it is also what makes someone else's skyscrapers possible in the future. It is also what the next generation of your family is built upon. It is also how you change the trajectory of a family or a town or a city or whatever God has, whether that is through firefighting or teaching or, or, or being in the military or being a doctor or, or taking out the trash and being the best mom ever. I don't know or the best dad ever. I don't know. See, that's the thing. We don't define God's imagined tomorrows for ourselves. God does. And in God's economy, success is not about a paycheck. Success is doing the very best with what we have, where we're at. And that moves us forward in the process. Mark Batterson calls this the adjacent possible. The possible that someone has because they are connected to the risk that you took. The adjacent possible is the one thing that makes something else possible. The moment that links what is to what could be. And that's what we're invited into as we look at this habit of cutting the rope. The adjacent possible is what takes us from elevators to skyscrapers. It's what takes us from the microchip to scientific calendars, calculators, smartphones, and smart homes. The adjacent possible is what Moses' staff in his hand was to the plagues and the Red Sea and the rock that suddenly poured forth water. It's what David's slingshot was to Goliath. It's the first stitch of a needle in the main thread of a beautiful tapestry. But we have to take the first step. What is the one decision that stands between you and, and the future that God imagined for you? You should think about that for a minute. Family online. What's the one thing that's standing between? You know what it is. God called me to this. Mm, but I'd have to step out in faith. Now, I want to give you a caution here. 
Because we can get tripped up and fall down. We can start on the path, even when we start on the path, and we can come up against some resistance. We can come up against a closed door. And we suddenly think, oh, I must have heard God wrong. That door's closed. Let me turn around and go back. Let me retreat. Let me go back. Can I tell you that God leads and guides us through not only open doors, but closed doors? As Christians, our adjacent possibles are guided and directed by doors God opens and doors God closes. When God called Paul persecutor of Christians, right? He calls Paul to, um, to one, believe in him. He, Paul has a pretty undeniable encounter. I don't know how he'd say no after that. But he calls him to preach the good news to the very people he was persecuting. Not only that, he calls him to preach to the Gentiles, who was a very prideful Jew. Paul didn't like it all. And God says, no, no, take the message there. Take the message to people who aren't like you. And by the way, I don't want you to just preach to them. I want you, I want you to recruit for the people you were trying to destroy. <laughs> Those are some big, brave, bold steps. Paul had to cut the rope. He had to move forward in faith. He stepped out into the adjacent possible, and all kinds of things happened. So you'd think that he would never get it wrong, right? I mean, things are going great. Churches are getting planted. Growth is happening. I mean, there's a few shipwrecks and a few arguments with other pastors, a few prison stays along the way. But overall, it's a pretty good gig. Things are going great. <laughs> so he wouldn't get it wrong. Paul would never get it wrong. Paul would tell you he would never get it wrong, right? No, because <laughs> he's Paul. But there's a moment in Acts chapter 6. I think it's going to be up on the screen. I'm just going to read it for you because there's a lot of tongue twister words in here, so I'm not going to do that to you guys. Um, in Acts 6, uh, 6 to 10, Acts 16, 6 to 10, it says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. In other words, they went to do something and the Holy Spirit was like, nope, not happening. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter, I can't even say all these, right? And I practiced them last night. They tried to enter Bith Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. You want to talk about meeting a closed door? Literally, the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to walk down the road they were destined, determined to walk down for the mission that they had, what they thought they were supposed to do. And it says, so they passed by, uh, Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia to help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I want to hit on a few key phrases. It said that they, the Spirit would not allow them to i.e. the Spirit stopped them in their tracks. Jesus stopped them in their tracks. Did they quit? How many times do we hit a stop, a blockade, and we quit? How many times do we get mad at God and say, you know what, you called me to do, I, I, I know none of you have ever been like, God, you called me to do this. I tried to do what you wanted me to do. I went to do it, and now it failed, and so I must have heard you wrong, or you changed your mind, and it's not my calling anymore. Nobody ever Never, never done. Okay, just checking. But it says 
that they passed by, which means they changed course. They didn't let the door frustrate them to the point of giving up or stopping. They changed course, hit the pause, waited for the next direction from God, and followed it. What was the result of the vision and the next direction? Well, I'll tell you, it was the establishment of the church in Philippi. It was Paul meeting, mentoring, and raising up Timothy to go out and be a church planter. It was Paul meeting Lydia, who was an amazing convert to Jesus. She didn't know Jesus. Paul meets her. She gives her life to Jesus. And in the midst of that, she happens to be a very wealthy woman who gives a lot to the church, funds church plants, and many scholars agree actually was part of preached in a church plant in the future. And so much more. Because when Paul met a closed door, he didn't get mad and quit. He paused to change direction. There's another reason that we hit closed doors. Sometimes we're in a really good place, and something we've been enjoying for a long time just goes away. The rug gets ripped out from underneath of us. Stuff's not working. And can I tell you, a lot of times that's because we've been waiting way too long to begin the next journey, and God cuts the rope to get us moving because we've been procrastinating and not doing. Because change is so much fun. We all just jump towards it, right? Some of us do. Drives the rest of you crazy, but that's okay. Pastor Rick said, yes. A lot of times we think a closed door is a full stop, and it's not. And I think the greatest example of this, and he he points it out. I'm trying to give props where props are due. I haven't been much in his chapters the last couple weeks. But man, he nailed this one. (laughs) There's no greater example of this than the cross that darkened the world for three days. That everybody, Peter, everybody thought was a full stop. Only to have the empty tomb that revealed light for all eternity. You see, whether the world accepts it or not, Jesus is the number one undeniable, unquestionable, adjacent possible. Jesus is the one thing that changes everything. If you aren't sure what to do in your life, if you have been trying to figure out all on your own, I mean, some of these steps are going to work for you if you're not leaning into Jesus. Some of them are going to cause you to make a lot of mistakes. But you see, the one thing that changes all the things is Jesus. And when Jesus is the foundation and our faith is in him, not in the stock market, not in our visions, not in all the things, but our faith is in Jesus, then he calls us to take that step out. And his adjacent possible makes everything possible for us. His obedience to the cross that led to the resurrected life, to the defeat of death, And the empty tomb, where the world thought there was a full stop, where the world thought it was game over, it was game on. Game on. Where do you think it's over 
and God keeps telling you it's not. Don't let that dream go. Don't be so discouraged. It is not game over. It is game on. I am just redirecting you into what I have for you. So I want to pause here for a minute and ask you a few questions. What dream has God placed in your heart? What dream? What have you done about it? Trust me, I had to ask myself these questions all week long. Not only what have you done about it, but what have you not done about it? If you trust, if your faith, go back to the picture of the elevator suspended, right? If your faith, if you're standing on the rock, then what's keeping you from telling the axe man to cut the rope? If we're honest, there's a lot of us that tend to shy away from or fail to execute, for our military people in the room, fail to execute what God has given us to do. We don't want to get ahead of God, hear me, like that's my, that's my default, jump ahead of God, hear a word and man, leap, right? We don't want to get ahead of God because that's a sin of presumption. But we also don't want to walk in the sin of omission, which is inaction, because inaction is a willful action, and indecision is a decision, And so we can't operate in the sin of omission, and we also don't want to operate in the sin of procrastination, which is falling behind the plan that God has for us when he is continually prompting us forward. So church, what do we do with that? We walk in faith, not faith in ourselves, but faith in the one who makes a way, faith in the ultimate adjacent possible. And oh, by the way, Mm, this usually requires a few rope-cutting grand gestures along the way in our life. Not every day. The Bible does not teach us to be adrenaline junkies. <laughs> I'm going to go back to diligence. We steward this day with great diligence, with simply making our bed, with doing the little things like we're going to do the big things. Those things matter. But if you're really going to walk into your unimagined future, then you need to prepare yourself that there will generally somewhere along the way or a few times along the way, there will be a big ask, a grand gesture. Because playing it safe doesn't get us there. And playing it safe isn't really safe at all. Mark Batterson makes the argument. Actually, I think we have a slide for this because it really... Got me in the gut. Christians need to stop living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Church, God called us to abundant life. He called us to exceedingly more than we could think or imagine life. He called us to life that is the fulfillment of his imagination. And it isn't boring and it isn't just arriving safe. It isn't crossing the finish line like, okay, I made it, y'all. It should be cartwheeling over everything. 
Like, I want to get to the end, and the gymnasts I used to idolize when I was a little girl, I'm old. So that was like Mary Lou Retton and a couple others, you know. But like tumbling and flipping and turning, that's how I want to get to the end. We don't want to play it safe because the one who made a way for us calls us to so much more and not just calls us but equips us, fills us, indwells us, and makes it possible. Church, we may be living in a gloomy, dark, Good Friday world, but it isn't our home because we are a Resurrection Easter Sunday people, and we need to start living that way. And in living that way, that doesn't mean the constant party. It means to go and do. The goal at the end is not to hear well thought, good and faithful servant. It isn't to hear well planned. It isn't even to hear well prayed, though prayer is an exceptionally important part of the doing Definitely isn't to hear well-intentioned, my good and faithful. It's to hear well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Doing is how Noah built the ark. Doing is how Abram built that altar. Doing is how David slew the giant of giants with a slingshot. Doing is how Nehemiah went from cupbearer to rebuilder and protector of God's holy city in the face of all the obstacles. Doing is how Ruth went from a penniless widow in a foreign land to a beloved wife and the great, great, great of Jesus. What is God asking you to do today? And I'm going to rewind and replay. If you don't know what that is, then what is the dream that's tucked in your heart that the Holy Spirit keeps whispering to you is possible? Is not only possible, it is your destiny. It is his almighty plan for your life. And what are you going to do about it? Because the bottom line, church is that well done requires cutting the rope and stepping into our adjacent possible with our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus who makes all things possible. If you don't know Jesus as the way maker, the savior of your life, then I invite you to take a step, the most important step you'll ever take of faith that accepts his freely given grace of forgiveness and redemption and eternal life. If you've just been off the trail for a long time or even a week, Jesus came not so there would be guilt and condemnation, but so there would be freedom in life. So if you've been off the path, there's no 
there's no giant. It's not even a grand gesture. That is not your grand gesture moment. (laughs) Because no matter how far in the wrong direction we are, we are one simple step from being in the right direction with God. Just one step. And so if you've been off the path, whether it is with your finances, your life, your whatever, whatever the thing is, maybe you have been mad at God for a long time and just been keeping him over. I don't know. And this isn't in my notes, but Uh, The Holy Spirit just wanted me to say, I firmly believe he wanted me to say, to remind that we are just one step out of God's will, no matter how far out of God's will we are. And I want to invite you to take that step today, if that is you. Chris is going to come up and pray for us. And I just, as you stand, I want to invite you to really consider And take into your heart the fact that the Almighty, with his omniscient imagination, planned the thing he is asking you to step into. Let's pray. God, sometimes you ask us to run, and sometimes you ask us to walk. I pray that this week... You make it abundantly clear what the next step is for us personally to make our walk closer with you into the world and the work that you've ordained for us. So be with us this week as we sit with you in prayer, speak to us through scripture, and in the whole thing, we'll thank you for everything that you've done and that you will do for us. Because we know that your way is true, and we believe that, and we thank you in your name. Amen. Amen.